you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. My name is Erin, and welcome to the second iteration of Kaleo Stories, which is a unique time of storytelling by people in our community as we simultaneously invite Jesus to help us pay attention to the story of our own life. Alexander Pierpoint says, everyone loves a good story. Whether it's hearing about a friend's life, reading a classic novel, or watching a cinematic adventure, there's something distinctly human about appreciating stories. It's interesting that whenever we read about Jesus being asked a question, he seldom gives a straight answer. Rather, he launches us into a story, speaking truth about lived experiences which cannot be denied, while also challenging the status quo and flipping people's preconceived paradigms on their heads. There's something to be said about that. Jesus chose stories, not only to communicate points, but to appeal to more foundational things, our humanity. Kaleo Stories is another way we can practice the ways of Jesus together. It's an opportunity to behold the humanity of the people in our community and with empathy hold space for each other's truths that we might be able to love one another from the vantage point of their lived experiences. For that is what Jesus does for us, and that is what we must do for one another as the multi-ethnic, multicultural family of God. In his book, Terraform, Building a Better World, Propaganda says this about stories. I'm aware that when you hear the word story, you might associate it with the idea of truth. We often ask if a story is true or fable. I think it's the wrong question though. When I say stories, I mean that what does a story invoke in a person that brings forward the humanity necessary for a more livable world? The beauty of a good story is that it draws out the beauty in us. Our focus is how the stories we tell make us who we are. So tonight, let's take a look at the stories we are telling and the stories that make up our community and create space to absorb and ponder and wonder, mystery and the love of God and the art of storytelling. And now we'll continue on with our first story of the evening called The Unbecoming Jesus by Marco Perez. Marco, you can come on up. Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes So classically, um, I was really rushed to get this done. I felt like I was in high school all over again. Graduated with a D average. Um, so, uh, Otis Redding, Sitting on the Dock of Bay. Very important song to me. Um, I, the first time I heard that song, my calves, the first time that I know that I heard that song, my calves were on the edge of my dad's Toyota pickup truck, like bench seat as we drove. I was just a tiny little guy. 
Um, I am going to talk about, um, it's hard to like really center on one story. <laughs> Just make sure that I tell <laughs> the appropriate amount of time of stories. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about my journey, uh, my faith journey, and some of my religious journey. Um, you don't know me, some of you, some of you I've never seen before. I tend to kind of sit in the back and uh, um, I'm pretty quiet. Um, I just want to say up front that, like, what I say up here is obviously nothing to do with, like, Kaleo's beliefs, um, but it's also not reflected on my um, place of employment. Um, they have been very, very good and kind to me in this journey, and I hope that I'm doing the same to them. Um, so the first part of this is order, and uh, we'll talk about, a little bit about my first name, Marco. I'm very excited to tell you that my first name means warrior. Yeah, so we're going to call this the mythical warrior. Um, uh, and I'll start out with this story called The Fifth Salvation. I don't know how many conversion experiences you had growing up, but my fifth one stuck. Uh, the fourth one, I got this cool Bible while I was in the army. Um, it has my name in it. Um, but it was really the fifth one that stuck. And, uh, but I can tell you a little, I want to tell you a little bit of a story about this mythical phase, right? So I was in the army. That's all I wanted to do. I was four years old, my dad says, when I told him in the backyard, I want to be in the army. And that's all I kind of did, and I got the grades good enough for the army. Um, and uh, turns out uh, the army uh, sucks. And <laughs> it's, it can be a great experience, by the way. I've had lots of friends that have had wonderful experiences and really done cool things. I was just in the boot camp phase, and that's not fun. Um, and I was really, really sad about it. You know, it was, a, it was a type of a fantasy, a dream. I want to do this thing. And then you're there and you're like, oh, I really don't want to. This is not who I am. This is not what I want to do. So I prayed. Now, I wasn't a Christian in a sense. Um, I was bigoted. <laughs> you know, I was opinionated and I believed in the Christian God. But I didn't have that kind of understanding at that time of what I came to believe as Christian, um, I wasn't there. So, but I did pray, and I prayed probably the most humble and real prayer I've ever prayed. Um, I don't want to do this anymore, but if this is what you want me to do, then I'll do it. And I went on soldiering, and I did a good job. Uh, I was good at it. Um, uh, that was a little bit before Thanksgiving. And then I um, came home for Exodus leave, which is around Christmas time. Everybody leaves the army. I don't know if you know that. And goes home and gets to have um, some time with the family, even if you're in boot camp, which was great, because my boot camp was 15 weeks long. They don't tell you that they can be that long. That's how long it was. Um, and I'm home, and I'm having a good time. I, you know, I'm, I'm 18 now. I got a little bit of army money, so I go out and buy a gun. And my cousins and I go into the mountains, and we're going to shoot some guns and have a great time. And I start to get sick. Um, and it is uh, turning into something like the flu. 
and my cousins are really <laughs> disappointed because we have to go home now. We just got guns. We shot a couple times, and I was like, okay, let's drive home. When my brother is unloading the car, we're home now. When my brother's unloading the car, he comes back to me doing very weird things. I'm having a seizure, a grand mal seizure. Ended up having two of them. I had one there where he witnessed, and I had another in the um, ambulance on the way to the hospital. Um, uh, Seizures, just what you need to get out of the army. Um, It's the right, they're not going to let you, you know, drive tanks and shoot guns if you're just going to KO on them at any moment. So, um, So I was out. And when I got home, the only friend I really had still around that didn't go off to college and didn't go off to another service was a friend named Robert, and he was going to church. And there, I um, had my first, it wasn't my first, but I had a real substantial encounter with Jesus, had a real substantial encounter with the Christian faith. And that was the conversion that stuck, right? Um, and it was really, really powerful for me. Um, and it's still meaningful today. All right. Chapter 2, Disorder. Um, my middle name is Jesus, or Jesus, and this is where the namesake of this storytelling comes from, the unbecoming Jesus. I told her to say Jesus, by the way. She didn't get that wrong. Um, so, uh, a little bit of death and suffering, spiritually, internally, makes us better people. Um, turns out, and um, turns out I was just not a solid fit for the um, fundamental evangelical church. <laughs> it's just way too horny and brown. So, <laughs> um, I ended up, uh, I, was, I was cleaning pools. I did a lot of blue-collar work for about 10, 12 years. And at this point in time, I was cleaning pools, and I was driving down and volunteering at this organization called Neighborhood Ministries. It's a great organization, doing amazing work. And I was really, after a while, I got really sad because I was like, man, I could have gone to college. I couldn't have. I was not good at that stuff. But still, like, I wish I'd gone to college so I could work with these kids. This is, this is amazing. Well, Providence, capital P, again shows up. And I get into a program called Public Allies. Um, which is an AmeriCorps program, which is like Peace Corps for the United States. Um, and I meet very different people, right? Because we can live kind of isolated in our little bubble, our little church bubble. I did in my little church bubble. I drove 10 miles to my church and then interacted with those people, then drove 10 miles home and interacted with my Christian friends there and just kind of ignored everybody else in between. Um, But here I was, not necessarily forced, but encountering a different type of person. Um, LGBTQ people, people that talked about race a whole heck of a lot more than I did. Um, um, uh, Very sexually active people, right? There's just like a whole lot of other things going on. And they're none of the things that I was hearing about at my church. They were complex. They were good. They were powerful. And this is that disorder for me, 
because these metrics that I'd been given to measure the world, they weren't working. They could work when I was over here looking over there and say, yeah, they're kind of dumb. But then you get there and they school me left and right. So I got another store for you. I think I'm going to make it. <laughs> um, so I am uh, at a, uh, we're doing like a camp team building thing and we're doing obstacle courses. And so me, I've already kind of made some jokes about my inability to do school and really responsibility in general. Um, so that's a real thing. I get diagnosed later on with ADHD at like 38 and nailed it. Like, there's one thing I got an A in was that test. Um, so <laughs> um, anyway, um, so uh, I see I'm encountering a lot of different people doing awesome things and just saying they're articulate and they're smart and they're, they're, they got plans. I don't have a plan. They're, they've studied stuff that's not like Marco stuff, <laughs> which you guys know what that is. It's like shoes and <laughs> watches. Um, and I'm just really impressed. And there's this guy, Michael, super impressed by this guy, Michael. Articulate, powerful, just a lot of presence. And, and I'm doing this obstacle course, and I'm the type of guy, you know, toxic masculinity moment. I'm the type of guy that owns that stuff. Like, no fear. I just, like, running around, you know, doing backflips. Great time. I come down from this, like, you know, high obstacle course, and he's like, how did you, how did you do that, man? Like, I wish that I could be... Like, like, I could be like that, that I could do stuff like that. I just, I was so petrified up there. I was like, wow. And I'm sitting here looking at this person like, dude, you don't know how much I wish I could be like you. Later on, we did this story map thing. All of us wrote on this poster board our story. I did this kind of trailing, you know, comic book thing. Um, and uh, really powerful. It's a great practice if you're ever kind of lead of a group like that. I would really look into that type of, like, story map, the life map. Um, and Michael comes up and starts to tell his story. And Michael used to be a woman. I had no idea. I had no idea. And public allies is this transitional space where I was going to church. Now I moved downtown and now I'm in public allies and I'm in this new environment. And I'm taking some of this other version of me, not a bad, but just this other transforming version of me into this new space. What do I do about this? I felt religiously obligated to address Michael in the feminine. And I laid on the concrete floor in our multi-purpose room while everybody else is having free time I just laid on the con concrete floor, and I again, I prayed. I was like, what do I do? And the first answer was just like, love Michael the way Michael wants to be loved, but I didn't believe it, <laughs> so I had to stay there for two hours until I finally just bought into that. Um, <laughs> and it was really, really liberating, but this is that disorder time. There's, there's a death happening here. Some things that were handed to me maybe in love, from my elders, from others around me, 
are not needed with, with me anymore as I move forward. Um, all right. I'm like so close. I'm going to skip this part. All right. So now we're going to be in uh, reorder. Perez, my last name, which is actually in the Bible, uh, it means to breach or to burst forth, or my favorite telling of it, um, to be born ass first. <laughs> so now I'm just kind of like moving. And um, so in between these two phases, and, and, and really the, the crux of this was like a, a huge mental breakdown. You know, I turned out I had ADHD, but there was a whole lot of other things that happened to lead up to the space where I'm in front of somebody telling me, you got ADHD. Um, and there was a lot of prayer, and there was a lot of supplication, a lot of desire to not be the way that I was. Um, but Providence, again, capital P, provided um, through professional help, <laughs> <laughs> real substantial professional help in this little dirt pill now that I take now called lithium that just kind of levels me out and makes me palatable. Um, and in this space with the professional help, with the loving and caring community, which now Kaleo is a part, and with this Providential, capital P, God, in my life. Um, I'm in this space where I really like who I am. I don't know if you like who you are, but this is fantastic. Right? I like who I am. I like what I'm doing. Um, and I am eager. I'm eager to to see what's next. Um, I don't really have a story for this part, so, because um, this is the part we're in, and hopefully this is the part that just keeps on going. But I, um, I'm moving from this space of knowing, which is really where my fundamentally evangelical face took me. It was like, you gotta know, you gotta know it all. Like, you know, how's, how does it work? The intricacies, this is like Christians, Dungeons and Dragons. Like, there's just all these rules and regulations you know, there's just, just incredibly, incredibly complex. And really, like, love was meant to be this anchoring piece that we just kind of spring forward to into the world and, and impact. Um, but we put all this tape around it. So I'm moving from this knowing to this being, right? So this, the theme is becoming. I'm moving into a space of being. But I'm becoming the being gets weird. I promise not to get too new agey. That's not where, that's not really my speed. I want to I want to end with this prayer. It's scripture. So um, but I think it's a good take on this scripture. It's meditative and it's usually followed by some silence in my personal life. Um, and so maybe you'd be uh, wanting to try this out in your own time. Psalm 46:10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. 
Be still and know. Be still. Be. Thank you. Man, thank you so much, Marco. Wow. Well, children who are introduced to God through attending church or having loved ones who speak about God often have a lot of questions, including this ever-popular one, what is God like? At this time, our friend Hannah is going to come up, and she's going to read to us the book, What is God Like?, written by the late Rachel Held Evans, who loved the Bible and loved showing God's love through the words and pictures found in that ancient text. And Hannah, you can come on up. there's not a lot of kids, but um, this book is still really relatable for adults as well, so I hope that you get something out of it. This book, as Aaron said, is What Is God Like? I'm not as talented um, to hold a book and a microphone at the same time, but there will be some pictures up there. <laughs> All right, what is God like? That's a very big question, one that people from places all around the world have wondered about since the beginning of time. And while nobody has seen all of God, because God is far too big for any of us to fully see, we can know what God is like. God is like an eagle, sharp-eyed, swift, with wings so wide you can play under their shadows. God is like a river, constant and life-giving. When you grow near God, you'll sprout up and stress strong as a tree. God is like the stars, forever present and bright. Even when they feel far away, you can always look up and see them winking at you. God is like a shepherd, brave and good, a protector who loves her sheep so much that she watches over all of them and knows each of their names by heart. God is like a fort, strong and secure with walls that are mighty and safe. Inside, there are hidden places to hold you when you're scared or need a quiet place to rest. God is like a gardener, patient, nurturing. God plants waters, weeds, and fertilizes the earth until every good thing on it seeks the nourishing sun and grows. God is like the flame of a candle warm and inviting. With God close by, you can look into the light and see through the darkest of nights. God is like the wind, passionate and full of mystery. God is both here and mysteriously also over there. God is everywhere, swirling throughout the world, whistling across mountain ranges, rustling through trees and pressing against your cheeks on a breezy day. God is like an artist, creative and unpredictable, always busy making and remaking everything brilliant and new. 
God is like a mother, strong and safe. You can crawl up into her lap whenever you want to, and she will hold you until you fall asleep. God is like a father, gentle and safe. He will put you on top of his shoulders and give you a bird's eye view of all creation. God is like three dancers, graceful and precise. They move to the same music in very different ways, showcasing all of God's elegance and rhythm in your life. God is like a rainbow, vivid and full of color, a dazzling reminder of promise and hope for all people after a storm. God is like a best friend, faithful and true, closer to you than even your brothers or sisters. And because we know what God is like, we know that God is kind, God is forgiving, God is slow to get angry, God is quick to be glad, God is happy when you tell the truth, and sad when things are unfair. She is your protector, he is trustworthy, they are friends when you feel alone. God hopes, God perseveres. What is God like? That's a very big question, one that people from places all around the world throughout all time have answered in many different ways. Keep searching, keep wondering, keep learning about God. But whenever you aren't sure what God is like, think about what makes you feel safe, what makes you feel brave, and what makes you feel loved. That's what God is like. Thank you. I am mom. As you can see, my daughter's making her way down the aisle towards me, so <laughs> we might have a visitor up here in a minute. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be a great mother. I don't even want to be a good mother. I'll settle for being an okay mom. I want to be an okay mother of the year. My entry into motherhood has been taxing and testing, and trying, and tough, and tender, so very tender. And the amount of pressure they put on mothers is astronomical. The reach to perfection, to do it all, work, and raise, and love, and lead, and cook, and clean, and give, and give, and give, and give, mentally, emotionally, physically, it's hard to keep yourself as a mom. We are expected to give it all. They would have us believe that being a good mother is predicated on laying down everything that you need or want for the sake of everything your kids need and want. That a good mom has nothing to do with her kids watching her be good to herself and everything to do with a good mom and her kids watching her cross her own boundaries time and time again. That's what they would have us to believe. And by they, I mean us. We are they, they are us. <laughs> we are upholding a system of family rearing that is connected to the matrix of American capitalism. And it's exhausting, is it not? 
specifically as a woman of color, upholding a system that only has ill intentions towards my body, my mind, my spirit? Uh, I quit that. <laughs> I'll gladly be an okay mom based on today's standards. And also, the weight of my parenting journey is not lost on me. I am a black woman married to a white man raising a biracial baby. It's nuanced with layers of reconciliation. You know what I'm talking about? Let's just define reconciliation for this purpose, this moment in time. Reconciliation, the restoration of relations of making one view compatible with another. As a black woman, I have to be reconciled to myself. There is an American narrative about blackness that would have me believe and that constantly requires me to reject and intentionally reclaim and restore the power that is my heritage, right? My husband is from Ireland. He is white. There is a history between white people and black people, between Europeans and Americans. He and I have to choose daily to be reconciled to each other. We choose understanding and acceptance. We choose relationship to hold boundaries, to teach, to learn, because we are creating a life together. There's a special kind of work that I do, that I'm willing to do with him, that I am not willing to do with any other white person. And that's nuanced. <laughs> to speak out against the harmfulness of whiteness and be married to a white man, it's giving confusion. <laughs> but I am not confused. I'm anything but confused. Reconciliation. Now we have a child, a daughter. <laughs> what do you do with that? <laughs> and, um, and there's not a day goes by where someone doesn't say, oh, she's so beautiful. And y'all, she is. It's the cheeks and the double chin for me. <laughs> the girl is stunning. Maeve is an acceptable kind of blackness. It's the reason the Zendayas of the world are so visible. I have given birth to an acceptable form of blackness when I myself am not, am not acceptable. Reconciliation. <laughs> and it's her, our job, her dad and I, to help her understand that her worth isn't in her beauty, that we don't put stock in looks, even if you have it by today's society. We put stock in things like kindness and courage. We have to teach her that her worth is not wrapped in outward packaging, but is inherent to her very nature. On the other side of that coin, the coin of her acceptable blackness, is the truth that flowing through her are both of our histories. Stefan and I. The stories of the oppressed and the oppressor are flowing through her veins. Isn't that wild? The story of power and privilege, of displacement and resistance, there is a reconciliation that will have to happen inside of her. She will have to make peace with who she is and who she represents in a way that I can only imagine. And although I cannot do that work for her, 
I'll be damned if I don't light a candle to guide her way. That is the weight I feel as a mother. It's my job to light the candles to guide her way. At least that's what I feel right now. Come talk to me when she's 16. <laughs> Last year, I was a great mom. In fact, I was an amazing mom. I laid my life down. But I was not an okay Erica. I was not a great Erica. I was not a good and decent partner. I didn't take care of myself well. Parts of that were unavoidable as a new mom in this American dream. But other parts, I misplaced myself. I don't want to be a great mom. I don't even want to be a good mom. I'll settle for being an okay mom. I want to be an okay mother of the year. Thank you. That's all right. You just stay in a, in a posture of worship and, and prayer and think of all that we've encountered tonight. Would you first begin by just acknowledging the presence of God? Would you thank this God who is with us and among us, for us and drawing us in for the opportunity to share the sacred space of the gifts offered to us tonight. And then would you begin to reflect on everything you've heard this evening from the guiding provided by Aaron, from Marco's story, to the reading from Hannah, to Erica's story, to the singing of Donald and Breton. Would you ask this God who is with us now, in light of all of this, God, what do you, what do you want, to, want me to know right now? What do you want me to know, God? And let's just listen for a moment. As you begin to hear the stirring, the voice, the presence of God, name what it is God wants you to know. Would you just ask God, then is there anything you want me to do? And listen for that prompt.
These are the words of propaganda that Aaron shared with us at the beginning of our time, and I want to read them as we sit in this space to finish out our time. True, good, and beautiful stories. I'm aware that when you hear the word story, you might associate it with the idea of truth. We often ask if a story is true or fable. I think that's the wrong question, though. Let me give you a history lesson. Before the Enlightenment, then because of the Enlightenment, when we say true, we mean in an empirical sense. Can we measure or verify the factualness of something? For our purposes, the facts of the narrative are not really the point. For example, have you ever tried to recount a significant event And as you're working through the story, you skip over a few parts or don't focus on other parts for the purpose of getting to the point. However, your buddy keeps correcting you like, nah, bro, that wasn't how it happened. It wasn't Sunday. It was Tuesday. Or nah, dude, your shirt was blue, not red. It's not that your buddy is incorrect. It's just not the point you were trying to make. When I say stories... I mean, what does a story invoke in a person that brings forward the humanity necessary for a more livable world? I am not saying lying is fine as long as it makes you a better person because I'm not sure a lie can even do that. Make no mistake, truth is beautiful. I'm not here to sanitize your past. I am saying that the beauty of a good story is that it draws out the beauty in us. Our focus is how the stories we tell make us who we are. So let's take a look at the stories we are telling. That's the invitation, Kaleo. As we hold the gift of the story, uh, stories shared with us this evening, we're going to make our way to a table and share a meal with one another. And in fact, stories will be present there as well. And we'll share them with one another We'll learn what makes us who we are, and hopefully as we share our stories, we find ourselves also creating a more livable world. Let me read you the invitation to the table, and then we'll head out these doors here. We'll take a right, and then we'll take another right into the courtyard, and we'll have some soup and bread. The table of bread and wine is now ready. It is the table where Jesus is the host and we are his company. It is the table we share with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It is the table of communion with the earth in which Jesus became incarnate. It is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come to the table, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, come, because it is Jesus who invites you, and it is his will that those who want him should meet him here. I'll see you at the table. You can linger in the space as long as you'd like as well. Uh, Let's let anybody with kids grab their food first as well, and then we'll eat together. See you outside in a moment. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. 
If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.